Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that? in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSEN. Hi, everybody, and welcome in. It is another edition of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Our Wednesday crew, Michael Lombardi, he's back after a day off. I'm, I'm wondering, Michael, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, that he's changed his mind again <laughs> in, the, in the last uh, 30 minutes here, I'm sure. I'm Ben Wilson from our Circus Sportsbook Studios in for Patrick Maher, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And since you were off, Michael, let's just start right there. Uh, I, have to, I can only imagine what was going through your mind as you watched the final seconds and sequences play out there of Monday Night Football. And we're, we're seeing Nathaniel Hackett now uh, do the old flip-flop in the media here over the last 24 hours. Well, I mean, look, uh, uh, it started for me before that sequence at the end of the game. Uh, you know, at some point, I'm going to start a movement here about why are three points bad. 90, 74% of NFL games are decided by four points or less. Like, I don't understand how not collecting points is a smart thing. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, Frank Wright continues to cost the Indianapolis Colts their chance to win. Cost him a game in Buffalo. Cost him that game in Houston. His decision to go for it. I think what we're really missing here, Ben, is when Doug Peterson started going for it a lot on fourth down back in 2017, Teams really weren't prepared for it. It kind of took them a little bit by surprise. The aggressiveness of Peterson's the decision-making was a little bit off. We're 2022 now. People are ready for it. People are prepared. They've practiced it. Everybody's spending more time on fourth down plays. And no longer. It used to be on your play sheet, Ben, that you would have a fourth down play. You'd have two calls because it never came up very much. Mm-hmm. A two-point play never came up. So now you've got to have more, and teams are prepared. There's no trickery involved. So for me, Nathaniel Hackett's indecisive and turning down points drove me crazy, but it was the narrative of the weekend. Doug Peterson did it once Mm -hmm. again in Jacksonville, turns down a field goal, which then forces them to chase a two-point play. Ridiculous. Now he's five points in the hole, or he's four points in the hole if he just takes the points. Now you say, well, his kicker missed a field goal. Okay, great. Nobody talks about missing it on fourth down, right? So to me, look, I'm not against analytics. I'm not about being aggressive. I thought what Brian Dayball did was smart. But here's where I have a real issue. The first, second, and third quarter, 
First quarter is about assessment. Second quarter is about adjustments. Third quarter is about adjustments. Fourth quarter is a standalone game. When you do something in the fourth quarter by being aggressive, that's a standalone game. You're doing it for a reason. When you do it in the first quarter, to me, I think you're giving away points. Again, getting Michael's thoughts uh, here on the Monday night game from uh, now at this point, a little uh, over 24 hours ago now. And the ironic part of this is Nathaniel Hackett, for all of the aggressiveness, decides to kick on the one-fourth out that he probably should have gone for when you consider the percentages. We broke it down with Mike Pritchard yesterday. Kickers two for 29 since 2000 on kicks over 62 yards, about 49% on the fourth and fives, at least last year in the National Football League. But question I have for you, you look at all these new coaches and new systems. Denver was the only team in the National Football League with a new head coach, a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, and they didn't play any of their guys in the preseason at all. How surprised as a result, Michael, were you to see such a lack of cohesion and so much sloppiness for a team that had 12 penalties and nearly 100 yards of those penalties on, on uh, Monday well, night we there said, in Seattle? We said on our show here on Monday that Nathaniel was following the Matt LaFleur uh, program for preseason. And we know the last two years how how's that worked out for Matt LaFleur. His team hasn't been ready to play. So it didn't take me by surprise that he wasn't ready to play. Right? It didn't take me at all by surprise that his team wasn't really ready to play. What took me by surprise was the, the, la- the, the premeditated decision okay, to go for it, the premeditated decision to kick the field goal. When I'm sitting on my couch and Bell is snoring over to the side <laughs> and I'm watching the game and everybody else is sleeping and, and I see Wilson walk off the field and take off his helmet, I knew they were kicking. I knew it. A Buck and Aikman never said it until they – I knew it. And when the, and I, it made no sense at all. But it was premeditated. See, this is what makes it even worse. It was premeditated. When he called that play on third down, it was to get into field goal range. And at some point, Ben, you know, at some point, when does – you don't need those stats you cited to me about kickers over 60-some yards – what happened? Whatever happened to logic? Whatever happened to common sense? It's not common, obviously. Like it makes no common sense to have a game come down to a sixty. I mean, I want my odds on it. I want you to do it every time. You think Pete Carroll wasn't laughing over on his sideline? It's like, thank God they're doing this. Thank God they're doing this. I mean, the whole entire game, Seattle barely could stop them, except when they got into the red zone. Like, why fourth and five? When was that going to be a problem? Yeah. At over, look, nearly 200 yards, the yards discrepancy. Seattle had one of the highest yards per play. I should say that Denver had one of the highest yards per play um, overall averages for any team in the NFL week one for the Broncos. I just wonder now, too, if we've seen this line go up now, at least for week two, and the, the assumption is, right, Michael, all right, Denver, this was uh, one of those one-off, weird, random, wacky Monday night games to start the season. They'll definitely figure it out. Are you convinced that it's, it's as simple as, all right, even on a short week as well, Within five days, they're going to figure out everything that plagued them. When you think about the decisions inside the red zone where they were negative 13 expected points added on their 10 plays inside the 10-yard line, and you think about the clock management at the end there, are you convinced that this is just a one-week fix and everything will be uh, hunky-dory there by the time we get to Sunday at Mile High? I, I don't think you can assume anything with Denver right now. I think that, you know, I thought during the game, and look, I love Paul Hackett, Nathaniel's father. I worked with him in San Francisco. I thought during the game, Nathaniel looks, looked struck. I thought he was, it looked overwhelming for him. It really did. And it's, it's to be expected, right? Even though his father was the head coach at Pitt, his father was the head coach at USC, it's still hard. 
And I'm sure that if my son ever becomes a head coach in the NFL, he's going to have that same look. But you got to have some sense of confidence and belief, and you got to fix it. I think the whole decision-making process when that drive started, you know, one of the things I think that we get hurt in football is if you go back to Super Bowl 53, what the Rams played the Patriots. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the great scenes all, all coaches should watch. It's Belichick calls Flores and Brendan Daly, the defensive line coach, and he calls them both over and he says, look, we got about 10 plays left to go in this game. Let's make sure we go every call. Let's make sure we go everything with the defense. I don't want any mental mistakes. I want to make sure everybody knows what we're doing. Okay? I said exactly that should have happened in the Super Bowl with Zach Taylor. Call his offensive staff together and say, okay, guys, here's where we are. I'm, I don't want I want Joe Mixon on the field. I want to get the ball to Chase. Okay? The same thing happened. When Nathaniel got that ball back, he should have called his staff together and said, okay, here's where we're going. we got to get the ball to the – I don't want to get into field goal range. I want to get into makeable field goal range. I want to assure the self the field goal. And we don't do that in football. Mm-hmm. We just, okay, we're going to keep running our stuff. And that was premeditated. And I think going into next week, he's going to have a little bit of jitters. There's no doubt. The other issue, and I, and I hate to be long-winded, the other issue, and I'll ask you a question. Were you impressed with Russell Wilson? Not really. I mean, you look at the at the deep shots down the field. When you have rookie quarters on both sides of the ball, and you were, I mean, the the touchdown pass to Judy, that should have been that should have been easy, and yet it easily could have been intercepted instead. I I, I came away up less than impressed, and I was going to throw that at you as well, Michael, because Melvin Gordon the third, Javante Williams, they only combined for 19 carries on the ground when they were absolutely gashing Seattle up the middle over five yards a carry. I, so I was going to go there too with the play calling where. Wasn't that our big concern as well coming in where Nathaniel Hackett comes out in the preseason and says, look, Russell Wilson, we, we just paid him a lot of money. We are going to make sure we set up the offense around him entirely. And yet they come out and, and it was Wilson, uh, again, kind of freelancing, trying to make a lot of throws downfield when the run game was there and they end up with fewer than 20 carries. That was certainly a concern for me, Michael. I think the other concern to add to you, I didn't think Wilson played very well. I think when the defensive lineman tracked him down, it showed he's not as, he's not the same athlete he once was. I think most of the throws he made in the game, the offense gave him those throws. I don't think he did anything to an elite level in the game. That being said, and another game where he's got the ball with with no with little time on the clock that he didn't win. I mean, it used to be when Russ was cooking, you you never wanted to bet against him in a three point game when he had the ball last, right? That's not anymore. That's that that's gone away. But more than anything is I think besides Nathaniel's mistakes coaching the game, I think he was watching a different game. Like the running back Williams is so much better than Melvin Gordon that I don't know what he's watching. Like I don't understand like I want Williams on the field all the time. I want Williams on the field all the time. I don't want to wait. I want him on the field. I don't I don't want to I I don't want to share it. You know, we're not in California. We're not going to Dairy Queen after the game. Everybody gets a chance to play. <laughs> like, I want my best player on the field. And I, I think he was watching a different game. Fascinating to see that breakdown, too. And look, I get that there was a fumble in there from, uh, you know, from Williams, and you, ha- you, know, you had a couple of, uh, you, you know, you had a couple of sequences, too, when you talk about all the penalties and the 106 yards. There's a part of me, Michael, that wants to say, by the time we get to week 14, we're going to look back at week one Monday night and say, how the hell did that Seattle team <laughs> beat Denver the way it all played out? Having said all that, 
And we're seeing the market, it's, it's really pounced, especially to the over here from 42 and a half up to 45 in this Texans-Broncos game. Denver laying yeah. 10. Keep in mind, a Houston team that went all out in the preseason, played their guys the entire stretch. They had the fourth highest, uh, fastest pace of any team in week one there, even though it was Lovey Smith and Davis Mills blowing a late lead. Hard for me to really be in love with laying a number on Denver, even though I, I definitely think by the time we get to the December portion of the year, Michael, we, we view this week one game a whole lot differently than we're talking about it right now. Yeah, I, I know we will. I, and I was I was looking down because I wanted I asked Steve Mackin in a question yesterday, which I think was really important. It doesn't apply to Denver as much, but I think before we go to break, teams playing second straight row games, okay, are seven and one straight up, eight and zero against the spread since nineteen. Teams playing second straight games at home, okay, are six, seven and one, and five and nine. I think that's where something we got to dig into. No question. A lot of interesting situations where that will come up here on the Week 2 card. And we also have a big game tomorrow in Kansas City. Bob Fesco, outstanding radio host there in Kansas City, going to join the show right after this as we get into it on the Lombardi line. Harry Gagnon, our good pal, a former Las Vegas sportsman supervisor. Harry was hot. He hit a near 6-1 to parlay over the weekend from the Against All Odds podcast. Harry will join us later on as well. We'll talk some Thursday night football on the other side with Bob Fesco here on the Lombardi line. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Lombardi Line on v featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 
Just getting started on the Lombardi line presented by BetMGM. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher on these Tuesday and Wednesday shows from downtown Las Vegas. We've got Michael Lombardi with us back after his off day here on Tuesdays. Before we get to Bob Fesco, we'll have him on in a little bit talking Thursday night football. The thing you were mentioning right before the break, Michael, on these teams that either start the season back-to-back road games or back-to-back home games. Fascinating angles to look at here going into week two. You got three teams, Colts, Bucks, Patriots, who begin with the back-to-back road games here, and then a couple teams, Rams and Cowboys, will each start uh, there at <laughs> there at home. And you mentioned the coaching as well. We're getting into the, the breakdowns there and, and trying to figure everything out. Of those three teams who start, though, on the road, those will be fascinating. Colts tie as, as seven to eight-point favorites. Tampa Bay wins, but offensively settles for five field goals in a 19-3 win over Dallas. And then you have the Patriots, who looked very anemic offensively in a, a seven-point output there, Michael, uh, in Miami. Well, I mean, New England turned the ball over. They moved the football on them. They just made too many mistakes in the game. And Jones got hurt early in the game, which I think affected them. And then they melted down. Defensively, I thought they played pretty well. Uh, Gave up a a big play at the end of the half, which really changed the game for them and kind of put them out of it. But I I expect New England to play better this week against Pittsburgh, who didn't play well last week. I mean, Pittsburgh was not good. They were able to turn the ball over, which saved them, and they still should have lost. I mean, if my man challenges to play down there on the one-yard line, right. I mean, we could go on forever about Zach Taylor. But anyway, you know, but I, I, I think the Colts, too, if Frank Wright just kicks points, he's going to win the game. I mean, so, I, I mean, look, Jacksonville, when you watch Jacksonville play Washington, really, you got to give credit to Lawrence. He got the crap beat out of him. I mean, he was on his back. They did nothing to protect him, really. His offensive line, which they spent a lot of money for, really let him down, didn't play well. So, you know, the Colts come in there. The Colts have never really played well down there. So that's going to be an interesting challenge. But when you look at Steve Mackinnon's numbers from 2009, teams playing in their second straight road game are 7-1 and straight up and 8-0 against the spread. I mean, that's compelling numbers there. And as we've, re, as we've transitioned from home field advantage being home field advantage, I think those numbers speak volume. Especially, yes, as you point out, now that we're down, a lot of people would tell you home field really only worth maybe a point and a half to two to the line. It's no longer the full three that you uh, that you value, uh, at least evaluate that as well. And you, you talk about the Pittsburgh game, too. I just, I'm curious from through your lens as a former executive, when you're in a situation like that for Pittsburgh where your offense does nothing the entire game, you force five turnovers, and yet you still need a whole lot of luck and a whole lot of breaks to go your way to win that game. Are, uh, do you sit there and say, all right, we're really impressed with that. We won a game with no offense. Or do you say, that was as good of a defensive performance as you possibly could have gotten, and yet you still probably should have lost the game? Like, What perspective do you look at that if you're in the front office, uh, front office here this week there for Pittsburgh? I think you say, look, we got a mentally tough team. We're willing to overcome obstacles. We're willing to fight through the adversity. You know, we don't quit. We're a 60-minute team. One of the things I wrote about for this week's column on, th- on Tuesday after reviewing the games, I mean, it's pretty clear now uh, after week one, there's certain teams that are just going to be, I call them 50-minute teams, 55-minute teams, 60-minute teams. Like, to me, Pittsburgh's a 60-minute bad team. Like, if that line's going to be big, you know, don't give up on Pittsburgh because they're going to compete to the bitter end. They're not, they're not tanking it in. Just like Detroit. Detroit's a bad team, but they'll play for 60 minutes. You know, whereas Houston's not a good team, but they can only go 50 minutes. They, they don't have enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at what I would urge people to do is go to these games. Go to the game sheets. Go to the game books. Look at the fourth quarter production in these games and see how many first downs teams get. And why is that important? 
It's important because the other team, because remember, fourth quarter is a standalone game, right? So when they know we need to get a first down and we know they need to get a first down, who can make a play, right? Who can make a play? Seattle had one first down in the fourth quarter. To heighten the the the, the dumping on, on Nathaniel Hackett, to heighten that, they had one first down in the fourth quarter. Seattle is going to – Seattle is a 50-minute team. And so when they go play a good team, can they close them out? I don't think so. Houston's a 50 – Atlanta was a 50-minute team. Now the Lions moving against – the Lions huge at, out in Los Angeles – you know, and I'm sure they'll play it close, but they're going to wear down. They're going to wear down in the 50-minute mark. It's fascinating, too. I think it's a great pro tip as well, looking at first down production in fourth quarters as a predict, somewhat of a predictive measure to see what these teams will look Can like they- down the stretch in games. It, it, it is very telling, and we'll see how that, as you laid out. I mean, you could look at almost half the teams, Michael, right, from week one, where that played out in, in a certain form or fashion there with the, with the week one results. I mean, Seattle had four third downs in the fourth quarter, right? They were one for four. They only had one first down. They only had the ball for four minutes and 36 seconds, and they were playing in a one-point game. I mean, they're, they're basically up on the 20, they're up on the 100th floor of the Empire State Building with no <laughs> safety net, and they got away with it. I mean, they should have gotten, they should have fell off, but they didn't because of turning down points. It, everything went right. I mean, the, the Cincinnati game where they got fortunate, Pittsburgh, I mean, by that end, mm-hmm. is Pittsburgh got fortunate because, let's face it, if the long snapper doesn't get hurt, do we really think McPherson's going to lose that game? I don't. He's going to make those kicks. But, but again, again, what do we know about Cincinnati? Cincinnati's formula for all the talk about Chase, for all the talk about Burrow, Cincinnati's formula last year when they won, it was we're not turning the ball over and our kicker's making great kicks, and our defense creates turnovers. That's their formula. It wasn't because Burrow was great. It was because of that. Now, I think Burrow can be better than he was, but their formula for winning is no turnovers, the kicker's going to make every kick, and the defense is going to create turnovers. Yeah, wasn't the presumed formula to keep Burrow upright, and he gets sacked seven times. You and I talked in the offseason thinking there's no way a guy like that could, could take more than 50 sacks again this season. Scale of 1 to 10, what's your level of concern on that old line there for Cincy? It didn't play well. I mean, look, Pittsburgh is is not, a, you know, I mean, they lost T.J. Watt. He was causing problems, but they don't look fundamentally like they're very good. And again, they didn't practice much either. You know, Collins was out. Williams, the left tackle. They had injuries going in there. You know, they did not look very good. And, you know, look, they, they lose that game. Again, how many first downs did Pittsburgh get in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter? Two. You know how long Pittsburgh had the ball in the fourth quarter? Four minutes and 40 seconds. It seemed on the surface, Michael, uh, like every time I looked at that game, Cincinnati had the ball. I mean, Pittsburgh hardly ever had the ball. It was crazy. Out time of possession by, what, 17 minutes? So, yeah, everything you say is spot I mean, yeah, you just, that's why when you're sitting there and you're going in there, uh, you know, Cincinnati goes to Dallas. The instinct is Dallas playing the second home game. Well, they, I mean, I understand we don't have Dak, so it's a whole different circumstances, but don't just assume Dallas is going to play better. You know, I don't, don't assume that. And Cincinnati, if you're Zach Taylor, you got to get back to your formula. You got to get back to your formula. We're going to, you know, and, and they didn't, they couldn't, I mean, they play good defense. They just, Pittsburgh avoided losing by not turning the ball over. And so for a couple of those lines now, we've seen the market settle in here. You're seeing on your screen Bengals Cowboys now with no Dak Prescott. That has gone up in the market. It is splits here between seven and a half and eight. We've seen a little bit of 
buyback to the Dallas side coming back down to seven and a half. There was one offshore book that had gone as high as nine on Cincinnati. So seven and a half or eight in that market. And then as we talked about a second ago with Pittsburgh and their performance in week one against the New England Patriots, that is settled in now to about New England minus one and a half. There were a lot of either pickums or New England minus one on the road there a little bit earlier. And we talked too about how to evaluate quarterbacks and their losses in respective betting markets, Michael. But what do you make of a, of a T.J. Watt injury and, and how valuable is a guy like that to the line? We, we usually don't talk about individual defensive players and how much they actually mean to a line. How much do you uh, value that in and, uh, and think of, of that change in the line with Watt out there for Pittsburgh? Well, I think it affects them tremendously. It affects them in the run game. It affects them in the passing game, especially when you're trying to, you know, when they got to throw the football against them because Pittsburgh's not a great coverage team. Pittsburgh played a lot of zone in that game. There were a lot of easy throws in that game. Now, you got to move Fitzpatrick off the spot. He's really good at reading the quarterback and breaking on the football, which is what he did. And you can't turn the ball over. You've got to understand what they're doing defensively within their scheme and then take advantage of that. New England has always historically understood that, going back to when Dom, you know, when Mike got there. I mean, they could always have moved the football against Pittsburgh's scheme. They understand how to do it. Yeah, and it's a fascinating situation coming out. I just, I had, I couldn't help but feel a little bit concerned where you know, Bill Belichick, we, I mean, my basis in backing New England plus the three and a half in week one was his level of preparation for that team and being ready to go. Box score is a little bit misleading. As you pointed out, they moved the ball, but three penalties that were at as, about as poor of a time as you could possibly take him. I don't know how oh. surprised you were, but didn't look as prepared as I was expecting for a Belichick coach team. No doubt. But this has been the trend against Miami. Against Miami, they have turned the ball over and have, they had 16 penalties in two games last year. This has been the way that they have not played Miami in the last three games in Patriot-like yeah. fashion. I mean, when you penalty offsides on fourth and one at midfield when Miami has the ball, they get wait. Really? Belichick coach team? What, what's happening here? And I knew, I knew my bet was yeah. dead uh, shortly, shortly yeah. thereafter in a game like that. We still have a lot to, to discuss, though, on the Week 2 card. We'll get into the Thursday night game with Bob a little bit later in the show. Very interesting comments from Mike Martz on a couple of quarterbacks who struggled in Week 1. Michael, I want to get your thoughts on what Martz had to say when we return here on the Lombardi Line, presented by... You're listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Start your football season on the right foot by subscribing to VSIN Pro. Get full access to everything we do, including our daily picks at a glance recap of the top plays made by VSIN show hosts and guests 24 7 video. Season prep, including our weekly college and pro football matchup guides covering every game all season long. Pro tools like our exclusive betting splits and pro tips updated every hour with actionable insights to up your betting game. Sign up on our discounted football special and get VEASAN Pro access to everything we do from now through the Super Bowl for only $175. Or save 50% off the monthly price with an annual subscription and bet smarter all year long. Go to VEASAN.com slash subscribe for all your options and become part of the Sports Betting Network. Hour number one of the Lombardi line continues, presented by BetMGM with Michael Lombardi. I'm Ben Wilson. We saw some comments the other day, Michael. I know you uh, were very interested in seeing out of the Chicago-San Francisco game over the weekend in the Windy City, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, each among the bottom five graded quarterbacks. If you look at the, you know, the completion percentage over expectation or EPA per play, really any, you can look at any analytic. I know you said you're, you know, you can look at the eye test, you can look at stats, you can look at analytics. Those two guys were both near the bottom of the list there in week number one. Mike Martz, longtime former head coach, offensive coordinator, uh, had said some interesting comments to say as we cue these up uh, when talking about those two quarterbacks uh, in general here after the week one performance. 
I mean, they took this quarterback. They went up and they spent a lot to get him, and he was he was less than remarkable. Would be the kindest thing that you could say about him. I don't know if I've ever seen such a bad performance by a quarterback in his opening performance of the season. Like he was just completely awful. He really deflated the football team with his performance. They just, you know, when you get a quarterback, they can't do anything at all. And defensively, you shut them out basically for a half. You kind of lose hope. <laughs> you know, right now they're a team without hope. I want their, I want their eyeballs. Yeah, I've never seen anything about this kid that was it, it, encouraging at all. He really has to plan himself to make a good throw. Uh, he's not a quick decision guy. Everybody's shot in the rear about him being a a mobile guy making plays with his feet. He looked like a fullback stumbling around trying to run the ball to me. I mean, he's not Lamar, you know, so. All right, Mike, not, not holding anything back from one uh, Mike. I Mike, mean, what do you think about that? Well, let's. I, I did this for Instagram today on my Instagram reel, and let's put things in perspective. First and foremost, I don't care what you think about Mike March, but let me give you some background. Mike March, Bill Walsh said this in 1984 to me. Very few people can evaluate the quarterback. Even fewer can coach him. And even fewer can can bring it all together and call plays, right? So Mike March can do that. You don't find Mark Bolger in the, the fifth or sixth round and make him into a serviceable NFL quarterback if you don't have the eye for that. You don't find Ryan Fitzpatrick, a seventh-round pick from Harvard, and turn him into that. You don't find Kurt Warner, who could, wouldn't even throw the ball. Ask Ron Wolf. He wouldn't even throw the ball in, say, in Green Bay when they signed him as a college-free agent. Wouldn't even throw it and turn him into a Hall of Fame player. Like, Mike March knows the position. He can evaluate the position. If I were the GM in either San Francisco or Chicago and he uttered those statements, I would be scared to death that we blew it. Now, I, I wouldn't have been with either one of those players because I wouldn't have taken them because I saw it before Mart said it, and I agree. I turned the tape on yesterday or Monday afternoon, and I, I wrote this for VEASAN before Mike said it. Before Mike said it, I wrote, the, the, worst, the worst quarterback in that game wasn't Lance. It was, it was Fields. They were both bad, but Fields was worse. Fields can't read. He can't read the progression. It's one look and go. And if he can make a play like a high school play where he scrambles out and throws the ball to Pettis across the field, God bless, there you go. Mm -hmm. But Bear fans, you didn't upgrade yourself from Trubisky. You gave it all up. Ryan Pace's gift to you, besides a bad offensive line, is perhaps not having another quarterback. Now, they can come out and Eberflus can talk about how proud he was of him and all the things he did. No, no. I'm with Mike Martz on this. As for Trey Lance, I agree. How is Lamar Jackson... The 32nd pick in a draft. Okay, how is Lamar Jackson the 32nd pick of the draft? And Trey Lance is held in such high esteem by Twitter, by people that think he's going to be the MVP, and he goes third overall, and somebody pays two number ones to get him, but they completely ignore Lamar Jackson. How is that even possible? Like, Lamar Jackson at Louisville was a man. I watched every game. He was a man. Now, was he a, a quick minded, accurate. No, but he was a man. He was a better version of what Michael Vick was at Virginia Tech. He could throw the ball with more accuracy. He had a better, all those things. They both had great arms, but he was an elite athlete. I agree. Trey Lance is not an elite athlete. He's a good athlete. Good. Yeah. But he stumbled around. He put, and, and he stares down receivers. Like, I don't get this. San Francisco is going down this road and it's called a sunken cost, false fa fallacy. They're going to keep convincing himself he can play when the evidence is he's not ready to play now and he may never be ready to play. 
13 to 28, 164, and and a, and a pick. Both of those guys, by the way, the ESPN QBR sub uh, 45 in that game. I, the logical pushback from some people this week, Michael, has been, well, look, they were playing in Lake Michigan. It was insane. It was a monsoon. Last time I checked, though, a, a lot of NFL games are played in the raid where quarterbacks have to deal with the elements. Is, is that not just a convenient excuse for how bad both of yeah. those guys looked? A really convenient excuse. I mean, it, it, it basically takes the temperature, it takes the heat off, and you could say, well, it was bad weather. No, no, great players play well in any weather. You know, you know it, Michael Jordan played well with the flu. Like, Lance missed, look, go to the fourth quarter in that game. Go to the fourth quarter in that game. Lance couldn't make a throw in that game. When he had to get the team back into the game, he couldn't make a throw. He wasn't even remotely close to making a throw. What Mike Martz said there is so true. He couldn't even set his feet. You know, and so guys like March, they know, like they really know. Like Bill Walsh, when he sat there and asked the entire coaching staff, would you trade for Steve Young? And everybody in the room, including Mike Holmgren, who's going into the Hall of Fame one day, including Bob McKittrick and every great coach, George, every nobody's raised their hand. We walked out of the room and he said, Lombardi, go pick him up at the airport. And I marched right to the airport to get him because he saw Steve Young as a player. These guys that have that skill set to know quarterbacks, they know it. They get it. And they can make them even better. It's like people say to me, oh, you know, Trevor Lawrence isn't very good. Uh, you know, people just overrated him coming out. No, Trevor Lawrence is really good. Now, if Trevor Lawrence was with Mike Martz, he'd be really good. If he was with Josh McDaniels, oh my gosh. I don't know how good he's going to be for Doug Peterson, who doesn't mm-hmm. protect him and lets him get hit. I don't know. A lot of this is circumstances. Again, going back to the line. Who can evaluate him? Who can coach him? It just It's fascinating, too, though, Michael, because if, if we look at the Trey Lance piece for this uh, for a second, it leads into a divisional game in Week 2 where we just talked about the box score outlier that was Seattle somehow winning that game despite being outplayed in basically every, every measure with the exception of the red zone and then the late-game coaching decisions here. You have San Francisco now laying, I'm seeing either 9 or 9.5 in the market. This has been bet up pretty consistently, and the betting market is clearly saying, we're not believing whatsoever in A, Seattle as a legitimate contender in the NFC West, and B, we're not really buying that San Francisco will look that bad as they did week one in Chicago. Nine and a half, that's, that's what your leg right now, it's a, it is a short week, we point that out for uh, Seattle here. What do you make of a line like that when you consider just how futile it, it looked on the offensive end, and when you consider Elijah Mitchell running back for San Francisco, who looked really good in the first half when the Niners built that lead, now on IR with a knee injury? Well, I think, look, you gotta t- you got to separate Lance from the rest of the team, right? So he made a couple throws on over routes where he had time to set his feet on play action. Okay, but they could run the ball. I mean, whether Mitchell was in the game or not, they ran the ball. They ran jet sweep like five, six times. They were gashing the Bears in the run game. And their defense had three penalty, personal foul penalties. Greenlaw had two of them that really hurt, that really cost them, that really affected the outcome of the game and kept down and distance alive. And then, of course, they drop a coverage. I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think that Fields was going to move him down when it was 3 to nothing? I think it was 10 to nothing, and he throws the, to Pettis because of the broken play? I mean, I mean, that's the only reason Chicago scored. Then they got another turnover off of Lance. Like, to me, I think San Francisco can win with their defense in the running game. The problem is when they play good teams, not necessarily Seattle, when they play good teams, how are they going to compete? I mean, Lance was 0 for 2 on third on fourth down throws in the fourth quarter. Every first down they got in the fourth quarter, they got four of them. There was a three of them were by running. 
So, like, it, it's pretty obvious to me. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the line is there because what the book's telling you as a fan, they're saying, Geno's going to turn it over. They won't be able to block. These two rookie tackles won't be able to block Nick Bosa and whoever else they rush against them. The offensive line will struggle on the road, and they'll get behind, and it'll make mistakes, and this game will go from being a 10-point game to being a 20-point loss for the, for, for, the, for the Seattle team. Right. Look, and after San Francisco, they limit Chicago 3.6 yards per play. It's, it's still find a way to, to lose, largely due to look, the penalties, the two turnovers as well. I just go back. We have this tweet from you from, this was what, three weeks ago? You and I were on the air, and, and when, when San Francisco made the decision to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you said no matter what is said or leaked to certain press people, this is a smart move for the 49ers and a clear indication they know their limits to what Lance can do this year. At least Shanahan knows maybe others don't. I know it's week one overreaction, but how much now after what you saw out of one game does that even get furthered, in, at least into your mind now, what's going on in San Francisco? Uh, I mean, at some point you got to say, look, we're going to screw up our team. I don't care how many captains they get. I don't care. At some point the players are going to say, this guy ain't ready to play. Just one game, but not trending in the right direction for San Francisco. Again, and laying a big number, nine and a half in a divisional spot against Seattle uh, in this week two showdown. When we return, we'll get into our Thursday night breakdown. There's a lot of injuries, a lot of storylines to discuss as we continue right here on the Lombardi Line. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Attention, BetMGM customers have a friend who loves sports as much as you do. Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. 
Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement at BetMGM and get a $50 bonus. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as is non-withdrawable site credit. Site credit expires in 30 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi and Nevada. Back here on the Lombardi line with our outstanding producer behind the glass, Matt Santos. We have Michael back after his off day here uh, last uh, last uh, yesterday, I should say, on uh, Tuesday. Had a great show with Mike Pritchard yesterday, Michael, and here we are on this Wednesday. I thought you had a really good pro tip in our first hour of the show here looking at teams Fourth quarter, first down production is a relatively predictive stat going forward. Again, all of our pro tips, we have one an hour available at vcin.com slash pro tips, sorted by show and by sport. And I, you brought that up, and I now think about this Thursday night matchup here for the Chargers, where Chargers had a, look, it was a good win on the surface, 24-19 over the Raiders, Michael, but two fourth quarter first downs, final five drives, they go 21 plays and get a combined 43 yards. And as a result, too, you have this matchup against the Kansas City team who could not have looked any better. And we've seen the market shift a little bit to, as a result here, now up to four or four and a halves in some of these spots, Michael. I don't know if you believe that's a, a, an accurate adjustment in the line from where it opened around three, three and a half, but a lot of money here pouring in on Kansas City as we get ready for Thursday night football. You know, for me, when you go back and watch the games again and, and you watch the unfold, you get a sense that the, the Raiders for as bad as they played, and, and Carr admitted he wasn't very accurate, for as bad as he played, right, they got the ball with 3.30 to go in the game, and they got a chance to win the damn thing, right? And so in spite of falling behind, not playing the way they wanted to play, they're sitting right there. And the one thing we do know about the, the Chargers is that they'll let you stay in the game somehow, some way. As good as Herbert is, for some reason they do, you know, and coming off a win, you know, in the last five games, six games it should be, I mean, the Chargers are 1-5 and five against the spread after a win, you know? And so for me, I think a lot of that is is really is is one of those where this Chief team, Mahomes, I wrote this this offseason, I thought he played a better game. You know, I thought he played a much better game. I thought he was back to being the way he was. And when I handicapped this game on yesterday, or what, I forget what day it is we are, but when I go through my notes, I had this as a 4.125 game that the Chiefs should be favored. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me yeah. the line's moving there. It is Wednesday today, Michael. I, I know it's an NFL season. Everything I'm confused. <laughs> these are moving quickly. Well, I think on the Raiders' end, too, and you think about how well the Chargers secondary played without J.C. Jackson, still very much questionable uh, as we get ready now. The injury reports here, Keenan Allen, basically he hasn't officially been ruled out, but that is mostly he's doubtful. I mean, not going to play with the hamstring. Not- he he's not nobody's nobody drives to the stadium. I mean the fans do and, and people in fantasy do, but Spagnola's not worried about Keenan Allen playing. He can have all the catches he wants. The the way the Raiders play defense, they wanted Mike Williams out of the game and that's what they got. I mean, yeah. they kept Mike Williams from beating them. If you make them work the ball down the field, you can keep the game in the twenties. And it gives you a chance to win the game because you're going to score on the Chargers' defense no matter how many Pro Bowls they Pro Bowlers they have. Right. I, I think when you when you watch them I would push back on you when you said the defense. I think Carr missed a lot of throws. I think Carr had guys open and missed them. And great quarterbacks, guys that are red chip, which I put Carr into, he missed He missed a couple throws. I mean, he's got Waller down the seam. He misses them. He's got guys open. He just doesn't make the play. 
I wasn't sure the Chargers played as good as they did. You know, people talk about, well, Khalil Mack had three sacks. Granted, he had three sacks. Two of them were on pressure, on coverage. Carr held onto the ball too damn long. Yeah, well, no, no, that's my question, too, looking at this, where we watch the film of week one and we say, okay, is this a Charger secondary thing, guys stepping up without Jackson, or was this simply just Carr being erratic? And again, he was one of the, we did the whole breakdown yesterday on the show, one of 11 quarterbacks who didn't take any preseason snaps whatsoever and looked like a guy who was rusty and was off with his timing and trying to force the ball into, into Devontae Adams. So you certainly think it's that end that probably has more weight to it going forward than what the Chargers' the fill-in backs were able to do with those couple interceptions. I mean, he missed a lot of throws. I mean, we wouldn't be having this. I mean, he missed throws. Now, I don't know if it was because preseason. Devontae Adams played didn't play in the preseason. He was great. I thought Hunter Renfro wasn't great either. I thought, you know, for the, the – I mean, what happened in the game? So break down the game. Forget the scoreboard. That's what I tried to write about on for Tuesdays is forget the scoreboard. Right. What happened in the game was the Raiders got behind. The Raiders turned the ball over. They got behind, and they had the ball to close out the middle eight because they were not getting the ball to start the second half. So they, they turn it over there, and the Chargers get those three points, and it affects the game. So now instead of going in, you're down 14-3, to three, you're down 17-3. to three. Now you got to st- – Jacobs is out of the game. You can't start trying to establish the run. The Raiders have to play a, a certain way. And with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, they got to play from in front. They can't play from behind. they got to play from in front. They want to utilize their skill as rushers. And the Chargers made them play that the opposite way. Now the Chargers, to me, they'll play any way you want to play because Herbert's so good. They can win a game in the 40s. They're comfortable with doing that. And they can lose a game in the 40s, too. And you think about how the, this has played out in this series in the past. We've seen some really high-scoring games. Money in this spot particularly has gone heavy to the over. We're up to our friends at the South Point. Uh, just, uh, we're, we're at here in Las Vegas, Michael, just down the street. They just went to 55 on this game, up from 52 and a half. Chargers have, at least historically, the last couple of years, have done a good job going into Kansas City and at least being competitive, if not winning outright. They've covered three and pushed one in the last four in KC. But the we, you know, it's almost been a weird uh, kind of back and forth on the, the evaluation of Mahomes from week one, which I don't know how this is even a, a real controversy, Michael, when you have a guy who comes out and is nearly flawless, throws for five touchdowns and no interceptions. I'll give you a chance to, to dunk on uh, PFF here in a second because they, they ranked him their ninth best quarterback by PFF grade in week one. I, how, how do you find eight other quarterbacks who are better than what Patrick Mahomes did and the way he distributed the ball in that game plan against the Cardinals? Can we stop with this? Somebody <laughs> grades for pro football focus, right? Who is this guy? Like, why do you get to hide behind a name? No name. Why do you get to hide behind no name? I want to know who he is. I want to know what his area of expertise is. I want to know how many quarterbacks he's coached. I want to know how many meetings he's been in. I want to know if he can take me through the protection schemes, the route, who's the mic, who's blocking who, what route we're running, what is the adjustment to the routes based on the coverage. I want to know all those things. He's not going to do that. So stop hiding behind this stupid shield that we keep talking about. Like somebody graded that. A human being graded that. Just like if I say, I don't think Justin Fields is very good, people attack me. That's great. That's great. Attack all you want. I don't care. Like, that's what I do for a living. So at least I put my name on it. Pro Football Focus puts this PFA, and it becomes a gospel. We've got a genuflect because of it. Oh, it's Pro Football Focus. There's somebody that graded it. I don't know who this guy is. Who is it? Stand in front of us and tell me <laughs> that you got nine quarterbacks play better than that. Yeah. You know, you I know, mean, who Michael. is it? 
You know, I would. You know, I would be remiss if I did not at least mention that because we. I know you've talked about uh, this before. I mean, I had to set you uh, up and, and and people take this as I'm against analytics. I'm against common sense. Like I'm against common sense. Like I don't necessarily always agree with the QBR ratings. I think you have to watch the tape. Like I think you have to watch the tape of of the game. And and if you can, t- like I was talking to somebody who's you know very quick to judge quarterbacks, you know, and he sends me this text. Well, Trevor Lawrence stinks. Yeah, I was right about him. No, you're not. You're wrong. Like watch the tape. Understand what they're asking him to do. Do you understand what they're asking him to do? Do you understand the protection scheme that they just attacked it and he didn't have a choice but to throw the damn thing away? Like, all you're doing is grading production. You're just grading completions. You're not grading the player. You're not grading the player. You got to understand the scheme. You got to understand the scheme and the player. Do you think those guys at Pro Football Focus can sit there and understand it? That's what you're here for, Michael. That's why I brought it up. I just saw that and I. Could not believe eight uh, eight quarterbacks were apparently better. 30 of 39, 360 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. Chiefs he was incredible. 66 but he was plays, the same 33 guy, first ben, downs, Michael. Ben, he was the same guy last year that they kept saying all year he was having a great season, that he wasn't that that he had more drops than anybody. He was as inaccurate as I've ever seen him last year. They kept saying that that narrative last year at PFF kept oh he Mahomes is getting screwed his receivers are just no he was throwing the ball to oh look at that underhand throw by Mahomes it's so it's sensational it was horrible when you have like half the plays you run to go for first downs and you're finding what nine different receivers Travis Kelsey was great eight catches a buck twenty one and a touchdown but I, I don't know they're how back, you they're back that. to. They're back to being the old West Coast. They're going to be hard to play. They're going to be really hard to play. Any concern about Butker, who had a very bizarre day where he comes back in after the ankle and makes a 53-yarder? Any concern there? That's really the one offensive injury. Yeah, huge concern. I mean, it's a huge concern. And McDuffie's out with a hamstring, the corner. That's a concern, too. Yeah. It's not exactly a clean bill of health, as it usually is not for these Thursday night games. Chiefs right now, market has settled back down at pretty much four market-wide as we sit here right now, 54 and a half or 55s on the total. I had to rile up Michael today. I just had to. When we return, more week two breakdowns right here on the Lombardi Line. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 